Welcome to Behind the Standards with United Rentals. This is the podcast where we discuss construction safety, specifically trench excavation and confined space safety, but also other topics that deal with general job site safety as well. I am Rick Plosinski, Customer Training Specialist, and with me are two trainers from California, Jason Jamison and Eric Partenheimer. So the purpose of our podcast is to inform, educate, and maybe even entertain just a little bit. While we will be discussing situations that could lead to workplace injury and unfortunately death, we will be focusing in on ways to help you eliminate the possibility of those unfortunate events. Today, we will be discussing gas monitor use and the misconceptions and confusion around this relatively small yet extremely important instrument that can help keep you safe in so many applications. And to illustrate just how important this little device is, NIOSH, who is the National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health, did a study a number of years ago of 139 confined space fatalities, and they determined that there were two key safety items missing from all of those locations, forced air ventilation system and gas monitors. So Jason, this study really highlighted just how important this thing is in keeping people safe and not just in confined spaces, but in trenches and excavations, enclosed spaces, even rescue operations, right? Yeah. So, you know, like you're saying, the study really showed uh, the breakdown of, of not using the proper identification equipment or figuring out if we have atmosphere issues or not. So there's a lot of myths and misconceptions. Um, we've, we've had a lot of discussions regarding gas monitor use, um, what's required, what's not required. A lot of it comes down to just understanding what the manufacturer requirements are. Um, there's terms that people aren't familiar with, that are bump testing, uh, some people call it calibration checks. Um, some, and then we get into some myths about when we need to calibrate a device, when we need to not calibrate a device. So overall, the importance is understanding your equipment of how it's used and, and how to maintain that equipment. Yeah, I was just going to say, too, you know, in with that, this is how you turn it on. This is how you turn it off. Uh, and if it goes off, get out. And that's the extent of it, where there really needs to be a little bit more. And I think that's some of the stuff we want to talk about today, too. So some of the misconceptions and myths centered around gas monitors have a lot to do with not really understanding how they work and these concepts and these, these term, the terminology behind it. So really, what is a bump test? So bump testing is basically a way that an operator uses that device to check to see if that device is working correctly. So when we turn devices on, uh, depending on the manufacturer that you're using, um, it'll go through like some systems checks, it'll check to see if there's sensors installed, but what it's not doing uh, when it's going through that initial startup is it's not testing to see if those sensors are still actually working. So they could be out of calibration, they could be defective, uh, so without properly bump testing prior to each daily use, um, you really don't know if that, that monitor is going to detect those, those gases that it's supposed to be doing. And, and, and it, yeah, with along that, and that is one of the biggest, I think, misconceptions on this is that term bump check. A lot of people use gas monitors, but they don't necessarily own them. They rent them. And maybe that has not been discussed prior to when they get the rental, they take the unit, they go, and that's it not understanding that they do need to bump it. 
So, I mean, any kind of training that needs to be done, that should be brought up that, look, prior to the use, based on your manufacturer's recommendations, odds are they're going to want that bump beforehand. There are a few uh, that we've seen out in the field that may not require it. Uh, OSHA is, is strong on the recommendation that it does need to be bump checked before use so you know that it's actually working. And that is one I think that a lot of people don't quite under, I've had people that have used these for years in class, you know, and we get them in class and we start talking this and they got no idea what I'm talking about because their training just consisted of turn it on, turn it off, if it goes off, get out, not some of the more ins and outs that need to be done. So Jason, how do you actually bump test a gas monitor? So it all varies from, from monitor to monitor based off the manufacturer. But overall, what it is, is you have a sampling gas. Uh, you take that sampling gas, you set it up to your monitor, you go to the setting that that monitor wants you to do to test those sensors, turn on that gas, and it's actually being exposed to those percentages that are supposed to make those alarms go off. And then that's what assures you that that, that device is working properly. And carrying on with that, too, and, and with, to Jason's point with that calibration gas, something to really understand, too, is don't just jump onto a website and think you can buy the cheapest bottle of gas. It has to match up with your unit. There is specific amounts of different substances in there that we're checking for. So, for instance, I had a, a guy who actually did that very thing, bought the cheapest bottle he could find, thought they were all the same, and he ended up blowing out two of his sensors. Uh, the sensors typically are not very cheap. So in that regard, it didn't work out well. The unit can get damaged. So we need to know exactly what that unit calls for when it comes to that specific gas bottle with it. And there are a lot of the units that actually have a bump test mode in there, but there are some units that do not have a bump test mode. Uh, and most of those you would go in, you would just apply the gas uh, to the unit. All the sensors will read that. They will all hit their alarm point. That, in essence, is your bump check. Um, I have had a few people tell me, and I, at first I thought they were kidding, and they weren't, but they would put the unit next to the exhaust of the pickup truck. Not what you want to do. That's going to end up blowing out sensors. So, again, applying it to that gas, even there's no bump check mode, that's all you would do and turn the gas on. The alarms will go off. I now have record of the alarm going off. If I were to be questioned, did you bump it? Yes, I did. And if they analyze the chip, it'll show that the alarms went off when I said I did, and that's when I checked it prior to work. What's the difference between that, then, and a full calibration? So for a full calibration, what you're doing is you're setting it up, and now you're actually resetting the calibration uh, parameters. So it's zeroing everything out and putting in brand new ranges of, of what those alarms will be set at. So uh, where a bump check, you're, it's not adjusting anything. It's just strictly checking to see that it's, is detecting those gases. Is that going to require a certain knowledge and understanding of the atmospheric thresholds that you can actually achieve before that monitor is supposed to go off? Yeah, so most of those, they set up the monitor. The, the manufacturer allows you to mess with those ranges. Uh, the reason for that, because depending on the state that you go to, um, they have different ranges that you're allowed to be exposed to. Whoever's doing your calibration should definitely be a competent person in knowing how to calibrate those devices. It's, it's, not, it's something that is a little more in depth that should take some training and requirement. 
And there's a couple of ways to do it also. There's field calibration, which we would take that, get that bottle and, base, and just do it out in the field. That's what that says. Very simple thing to do, but again, following the manufacturer's recommendations on how that gets done. The other way is with the cradle system. A lot of units now have got cradles. You can put the unit in there. It's already attached to the bottle, so it's self-regulated. All I do is push the button that says calibration, and it'll calibrate it. And to Jason's point, I can have this preset up to the, to the values that we need. Not all states are the same. So we've got NIOSH uh, permissible exposure levels. Uh, states that have state OSHA may have different numbers. We can speak to California's. Carbon monoxide is 25 parts per million out here, where most of the other the rest of the country is at 35. So there are programs in place to be able to reset those values if you need be. And so when you're talking about resetting those values, again, going back to it, uh, to understand those, those atmospheric thresholds, uh, that's, that's kind of an important thing. This can't be someone who is just plugging this thing in and just going. But it also might surprise people to know that those numbers are actually, you can vary those, those numbers. You can change them. You can, you can make them lower if you need to uh, you know, or higher, depending on the, the type of threshold that you're trying to meet. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's a good point to bring up because, again, with Jason's point of you really need to have a competent person, somebody who's been thoroughly trained on these units that understands those. Um, the permissible exposure levels, not only just, you know, with, with, say, 25 parts per million on CO, but now we're looking also there are other values that are in there, time-weighted averages. Uh, we're also looking at short-term exposure levels. These are, you know, when people turn monitors on, they see all the little bells and whistles and these terms coming up and these numbers, but I bet you 80, 90% of them don't have a clue as to what those mean. And they are actually pretty important numbers to know because, you know, if I get a hit a value, a certain value, it doesn't mean that we're stopped, but maybe I can be under the, in there for up to eight hours with the time-weighted average, or maybe the short-term exposure level, which allows me maybe a 15-minute exposure followed by an hour. So there, there's a lot that goes with these. And I think you summed it up at the beginning, this little device, you know, is pretty important. And it really is. And there's a lot more to it than I think people lend, you know, they, they give to it. They don't give as much, I think, uh, credence as it needs. You know, a lot of people might not even understand what gases a lot of these devices even measure for. Uh, four gas monitors are typically set up for four different type of monitors, right? So we're talking about carbon monoxide, hydrogen sulfide, which is also known as H2S. It also measures your lower explosive or lower flammable limit. And then it also measures for your oxygen levels as well. But there's also a five gas monitor and that piece of equipment actually has a fifth sensor. What is that fifth sensor for? So these, uh, these monitors are customizable. So if you have a worker that maybe has chlorine that they deal with on a daily basis. Um, that five gas monitor, that fifth sensor could be set up for chlorine or even on the four gas monitors, you can, you can change those sensors for whatever it is that you actually need to test for. So remember those monitors are know exactly what those things are testing for, because again, um, it's, it's a four gas meter but there may be some other things that we're being exposed to that that monitor's not going to detect. And are the canisters of gas that are available, will it also contain that additional 
substance that they might come in contact with that they have a sensor for, like that five gas monitor, for example, we're talking about an additional sensor that's not typically in the four gas. So the canisters that you get, they would typically have that additional material that those are actually supposed to measure for. Is that correct? Correct. So yeah, just like Eric was saying, you need to make sure when you're buying that, that bump gas, it needs to be specific for the gas monitor that you're using. So like, like for your, your example, if say we're using chlorine, you would want a gas bump test that has that chlorine in it. It's not going to be a default that automatically has it installed in there. And I, I think to that point too, again, with the, with the bump testing and the calibration, I just, I want to keep reiterating this. We really need to understand the manufacturer's recommendations and look at what those are because that, you know, you've got OSHA recommending one thing, maybe every 30 days you've got manufacturers uh, that could go up to 180, it could be 90 days. But I think with all that and all with these gas mixtures, it's really taking a look at that owner's manual and seeing what they, you know, suggest and what they recommend. And that goes back to the typical issues with not understanding the unit. I mean, if you don't understand your unit, it really goes back to even understanding the user manual for that particular unit. You really need to read through that thing. It's not just a manual like your stereo instructions where you just get it with your receiver and you, oh, okay, I know how to hit this thing works and you throw it away. You really have to study and understand the requirements for that particular unit because it is not universal from unit to unit manufacturer to manufacturer, right? That's 100% true. We, we, you know, when we do classes and we ask, we, we'll get a wide range. I mean, there's, it's, I, I liken it to be, you know, Ford, Dodge, Chevy, um, you know, they're all going to get you to the same place, but the functionality of it may be different and something you do on one vehicle, you would necessarily do on another one. Um, so, and it's the same with these. You, you really have to understand the ins and the outs. And, and I want to emphasize this too, is because people rent them a lot. And they just think, well, okay, well, the rental guy gave it to me. You got to understand you're the end user. And as that end user, you're still bound to the general duty clause. And that's to keep your people safe. And if all I'm doing is taking, this is how you turn it on. This is how you turn it off. And if it goes off, get out. I'm really not protecting my employees to the best of my ability. So we need to understand the ins and the outs. And if that means being at the counter for an extra 20 minutes, 25 minutes to understand the inner workings of this, that's what needs to get done. And I think that's where we see a lot of people just sign the tag and walk out and barely know how to turn the thing on. And Jason, what you've found out was that even within manufacturers, model numbers, even those vary from model to model, right? We, I'm not going to use their name, but we have one particular manufacturer who on an older model, they say one thing in their manual, but on a newer model, they say something might be slightly different and it could end up really confusing the end user, right? Yeah, that, that's, that's something that's very important is just knowing the specific model and uh, instruction manual for that model. They're, they're not interchangeable by any means. And that, that just, you know, it's a whole other topic, but when we talk about training, you know, that's the importance of why we should be doing quarterly training. You know, it shouldn't be we, we touch that gas monitor, you know, once every six months, maybe once a year. Uh, that's something that we need to be repetitive because it's muscle memory. The more we keep using it, the more we remember the steps that what we're supposed to be doing. And, and piggybacking on the training, that's exactly where I was going to go to was, you know, utilize resources. You've got resources available to you. If you own units, you come in and, and the company's already bought a half dozen 
you know, call that company up. Most of them are going to have tech reps. They're more than happy to come out and give you a hand. Uh, I know we do that a lot in the field. We'll go out and do a, an in-service on different units and that. But I would really, you know, highly suggest getting the manufacturer's tech rep out there uh, to come out. They'll give you the ins and the outs on it. You know, get a few key people trained on it due to turnover and that. But to Jason's point, repetitive, repetitive. You know, quarterly, we sit down, we all know what we're doing, or maybe we only used it once in that quarter. Well, it's a nice refresher to go back and just talk about it. Um, I, I just, I, I can't stress it enough, too, is, is, you know, handling it on a more consistent basis and really understanding the ins and the outs of it. Also, make sure you document that trend <laughs> so we can show a, a trend of uh, competency. And when you're talking about training, I mean, really, that goes back to a lot of things. It's not just on how to use it, but how to maintain it as well. And Jason, maybe you can give us some ideas and some suggestions on how these things are supposed to be maintained, because it's not just, okay, pull it out whenever you need it, make sure it's on a charger. There's a lot more to it than that, isn't there? Yeah, there is. And again, as we keep saying, refer back to that manufacturer's uh, manual, owner's manual. Uh, because it has specific requirements for storing the equipment. Um, you know, it's not just sitting in the back of the picture, pickup truck where it's being exposed to the elements, where it's being exposed to that high concentration maybe of, of carbon monoxide. Um, it's supposed to be, you know, cleaned, maintained, stored in a clean, cool position, not being exposed to extreme heat or extreme cool temperatures. So uh, it's pretty detailed. And the documentation, too, you know, hitting on that again, um, anything we do with the units, document. If you do a bump check, it'll show on there that it's had the bump check, but I would document it down. Have a calibration log. Write down the findings, what the monitor should read, what the gas bottle reads, and what the unit said after you've done the calibration. In fact, OSHA, on their recommendation, says that that should be kept for the life of the unit. Uh, so that's something that I don't think gets done quite a bit also. So anything you do with these, whether it be repairs, whether it be calibration, document, 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 just like you will with your training. Hey, Eric, how often do you actually have to calibrate those units? So and there's a whole can of worms, Rick. <laughs> this, is, this is where we run into your, you know, Ford, Dodge, and Chevy thing. Um, everything is going to be different. I have heard anywhere from the range of 30 days which is OSHA's recommendation, and a lot of man some manufacturers, a lot of companies will follow that. Um, I have seen 90 days. I have seen 180 days. I have seen some, some units that actually don't require a calibration. I'm not real hip to them, uh, but just the idea of that makes me a little bit nervous. But um, it, it's a wide range, and it, it sounds like all we're doing is dishing it back to the manufacturer, but that's what it is. You've got to look at that what their recommendation is for that calibration range. And it could be all over the board. And it's the same with bump checking also. Uh, you know, some will require it, some may not require it. We really have to look at it. I would suggest as a best practice that you do it every time on the bump check, because otherwise, how do you know if those sensors are working? And the calibration, follow along with that. If you can't find the info, I tell you a good default is do it every 30 days. That will keep you in compliance. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And and where I was going to go with this is it's just like our, our OSHA standards or our standards for any other thing. Um, there's bare minimum, so where we have to do the bare minimum and we can't deviate from that, but then we can always go above and beyond for best practices. So if you have a monitor that the manufacturer says it doesn't ever have to be calibrated 
unless it's been exposed to a certain percentage or the sensor's been changed out. Okay, well, that's the manufacturer's manual. That's what they say. But we can always go above and beyond and then throw in a best practice there. And, and like you were saying, maybe every 30 days or every 60 days. Uh, the, the bottom line is, remember, this is a life-saving device. It's something that we're depending on to notify our personnel that they're in a situation that could cause harm or death. And we need to treat it as such. So we need to take care of our equipment. This has been Behind the Standards with United Rentals. If you have any questions about this topic or have any suggestions about other topics that you may want to be discussed, feel free to send us an email to urtspodcast at ur.com. On behalf of Eric, Jason, and myself, thanks for listening. Have a great day and stay safe.